everybody. It's Crystal Durant, a.k.a. DJ Crystal Clear, with my very first podcast. It's called Original Versus Cover. Some of you may know, may remember, maybe you read it, maybe you were a fan of my column called Original Versus Cover that I wrote for this website called The Z Review. I wrote it for about two years, a little over two years, and recently the website went kaflooey. It just disappeared off the face of the Ethernet, and I don't know how or why or what's going on. Nobody's given me any answers. So, fuck it. I'm going to do my own. And this is the very beginning. I'm recording this here at the world-famous As It Should Be Studios, and my engineer is the amazing Dr. Paul Bertolino. Say hi, Paul. Hey, it's Paul. So, uh, Paul is pretty fucking awesome. Let me do this here at the world famous as it should be studios. So uh, what I do with original versus cover is I take a song, a very popular song, a song that you know, uh, you should know, and I do a compare and contrast with one or more cover versions of that song. Uh, I came up with this idea a couple of years ago because a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away called Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I used to do a night with a bunch of friends, started by my friend Mary Agnes, heretofore known as Magnus, um, Magnus Leonard, and she came up with this idea to do this night called the Tuesday Night Music Club, where once a month we would get together and play songs for each other, and she would come up with a theme. And one theme that I came up with was this, original versus cover, because I love a good cover song. So first, I want to talk about what makes a good cover. The first thing is the cover artist should be original with their cover. They should bring something fresh to the original song, whether it's supplanting the song into another genre or casting it in a different light through context, tempo, arrangement, instruments, what have you. I think that if you are listening, if you're just going to remake an old song note for note, what is the point? That is not a good cover. And I have plenty of examples of shitty covers. Number two, the cover should have a point. The artist should have a reason to cover the song, and we need to see it, whether it's simply a love for the original or a humorous take, like a Weird Al Yankovic, I guess. The remake should be... uh, It should make the artist's intention clear and convince us that they really did have to make a whole new version of an old song. Now, that... Take that with a grain of salt, because that isn't always the way. Um, Number three, they need to respect the original song. Now, that doesn't mean that the cover artist can't make fun of it, like Weird Al Yankovic, but I think that they should have some respect for it enough to want to make a different version that's going to uh, make you hear it in a different light. Um, Not necessarily better or worse, but, you know, make it interesting and make it good. I think that that's important. Uh, Covers are a really great art form, and the good ones allow us to hear great performances by drawing us in with something familiar presented in a new way. So those are the three, top three things I use um, when I'm thinking about good covers. And I want to start it off with this one. Now, I don't remember if I talked about this when I was Paul's guest on his As It Should Be podcast, but uh, the first one is Fell in Love with a Girl slash fell in love with a boy. The original is by the White Stripes, and the cover is by Joss Stone. Now, the White Stripes version came out in April of 2002. Joss Stone came out with her version in 2003. You might remember her. She was this uh, young Australian girl, long hair. She always performed barefoot. Her album was a big hit, and we really haven't heard from her since. 
but I think that this is a great example of what a cover should be because it's barely recognizable after the first, you know, couple of measures. You really can't figure out what's going on. So in the White Stripes original, this is what I call the genius of Jack White. This is one of my all-time favorite punk rock songs because it truly sounds like a few kids in a garage making a loud racket. It clocks in at about a minute and 50 seconds. The guitar is shredding, the drums are bashing, the vocal is yelling, and there's no bass. The rhythm is very 50s in a way. If you ever watched that movie Beach Blanket Bingo with Annette and Frankie with the sound off and played this song, it would sing perfectly with the kids doing the twist on the beach. It's like the best Ramon song that they never recorded. The lyrics are about a guy who fell in love with a girl who was already taken and may possibly be a swinger or in an open relationship because she said her guy Bobby don't consider it cheating, that's what Josh said, which makes this guy's heart almost beat through his chest with excitement. It tells a nice, little detailed story with somewhat of a pained vocal that really sells it in a frenetic way. And it's all wrapped up in under two minutes, which is punk rock! Now, the Joss Stone cover is super slow, super funky. When it opens up, it's this, like, hot, sexy, swampy guitar lick. And you just think, oh, it's some sexy, swampy song that I've never heard of before. It has... Um, an odd synth running through it, the guitar is slinky, the drums and guitar come in with a sort of peppy 4-4 soul beat, the bass is laying it down, plenty of wah-wah pedal, and then her low and sultry vocal bounces all over the rhythm, along with a traditional Motown type of call and response chorus with some backing vocalists. She's trying to channel some 70s Chaka and Rufus, but misses the mark slightly. In a way, it sounds like an American Idol audition, um, she's trying to bring her Beth Aretha, best Aretha Franklin as well, but it's not happening. She changes the gender of the song, because she's a girl singing about a boy, stretches out the length, um, stereotypical song acrobatics when it comes to soul stuff, adds some lyrics to make the story sound a little more sinister, and it gets a little muddy for me, and in about 3 minutes and 39 seconds, it's about 2 minutes too long. What I really want is to have Aretha, well, sorry, I wish Aretha Franklin had covered it. Gladys Knight, Alicia Keys, I'm calling you. Please cover this song and crush it, because I think you could do better than Ms. Stone. So in the end, who does it better? I think the White Stripes original does here, because it's great punk rock that clocks in in under two minutes. It's clear, sharp, fun, angst-ridden, and you can understand the lyrics, so you love singing along. It's great for air drumming and air guitar. I love it. So now you can take a listen to them back to back, and then you decide. All right, for my next song, I think I talked about this. I think I talked about this too in Paul's podcast. Uh, the song is called Keep Me Hanging On. Did you play it? 
Paul in the last podcast? You didn't do the songs, did you? I think we did. We discussed it, but it didn't play. It didn't play. Okay. So uh, this is, the original is done by the Supremes, written by Holland, Dozier Holland. They released it in 1966, and the cover version is by Vanilla Fudge. Vanilla Fudge! A year later in 1967. This is another great song in the Motown Holland, Dozier Holland songbook and was a number one hit for the Supremes, but, you know, I never really liked it. It follows the signature call-and-response vocals typical of Motown, lots of multi-tracking with Diana singing lead, Florence and Mary on backing vocals. This song is snappy, peppy, jittery, upbeat, clocking in at 2 minutes and 19 seconds, almost like a damn Ramon song, that opens with a guitar sounding like the dee-dee-dee-dee-dee-dee-dee of Morse Code, which I guess kind of indicates the urgency of it. Um, It sounds like a sound effect uh, from an old radio station that would happen before a major news flash. The song is about a gal who had her heart broken and is telling the guy to leave her alone instead of trying to be friends, because every time she sees him, her heart breaks all over again, which if you've lived this particular kind of nightmare, it is no fucking fun at all. Another reason why this is not one of my favorite Supremes tunes is because it feels really rushed. And I've never understood why it had to be so damned fast. Because this is a really sad song, if you pay attention to the lyrics. And this arrangement makes it sound happy. Because she's like, you know, set me free, why don't you be, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're all just like, woohoo! And it makes no sense. Um, that works for Can't Hurry Love, but it does not work for this song. And I know that many of you, like me, have lived through this situation where you tried to be friends with an ex and it didn't work out. Um, Maybe if this song did not have that Morse code thing in the beginning, it would have been a smidge slower. I always thought it should have had a more gospel feel. I always wanted Aretha to cover it. Again, another Aretha would have crushed it. It would have sounded a lot better. Uh, So for this, it's all about the speed of the song that ruins it, and that brings me to the Vanilla Fudge cover, which I love. The Vanilla Fudge was known for being a very psychedelic band, and here they outdo themselves, especially considering that this was their first single and this was done in one take. That's it. The album cut is 7 minutes and 20 seconds long, <laughs> but it's worth every second of it. And the edit, the 45 edit, is 2 minutes and 59 seconds. The song starts with Mark Stein playing a very spooky sounding Hammond B3 part that starts slowly and builds as the other instruments come in. Then a crashing crescendo on the drums, played by Carmine, a piece. It goes back to the spooky organ like something from a Hammer vampire film, come to think of it, and would have been great music for Christopher Lee to enter a room, too. (laughs) The drums kick in again, more crashing and bashing, and then the band mimics the Morse code thingy, perfect timing, and then Mark shouts the call. And he's just like, set me free, why don't you, babe? And he's just exhausted. So the dudes do the backing vocals as the response. He's sounding like he's writhing in agonizing pain. The whole thing is very doom and gloom, and he's completely miserable. I mean, miserable. Like you should be in this situation. Miserable. Because you don't want to be freed. You do want to be freed from the asshole that broke your heart so you can move on with your life. But this asshole is torturing you by not letting you go, which is misery, total misery, I say, not snappy peppy at all. Now, who does it better? Vanilla Fudge, hands down, for every reason I cited. Just listen to them back to back, and I think you'll agree with me. 
You'll find yourself playing it over and over, louder and louder, because it's just that good. Next up is Stop Your Sobbing, which is one of my all-time favorite kink songs. They did the original in 1964, and Pretenders, or The Pretenders, covered it in 1980. So the original, I remember the first time I heard this, I was listening to my local college radio station, and I wondered who the weird country singer was, because <laughs> the 4-4 beat has a very odd swing to it. It's laid back, sort of quiet, yet strong, and Ray Davies' voice sounds funny, like he's trying to force his accent to sound like something else. When he sings the chorus, it sounds really weird, and I can't quite put my finger on why it's so weird. If you listen closely to when he sings Each Little Tear in the Bridge at one minute and five seconds, it sounds like he's trying to sound Italian. I don't know. His accent is just is very weird and all over the place in this song. I like the song. The backing vocals are full, and the arrangement is very clean. And it ends like an old Beatles song. You can just imagine them all taking a bow in unison on the Ed Sullivan show or something. Did that happen? And I'm just now remembering it? I'm not certain. But you can listen to it now. The cover. Apparently this cover got Ray and Chrissy Hind together. Now, for those of you who don't know this, uh, Chrissy Hind was his side piece. And if you remember the song The Adulteress from Pretenders 2, that's what she was singing about. He dug that so much, which I'm sure he totally appreciated. Ray, whatever. Uh, the second I heard it, I loved it, because it follows the basic arrangement of the original, but it's more rock and roll, let's say. It sounds a lot like Nick Lowe, because he produced it. Another fun fact. The 4-4 beat here sounds more purposeful than the original and chugs along pointedly, if that makes any sense. Um, there's, it's very strummy, it's very strong, yeah, it definitely chugs along. Uh, Chrissy sounds like herself, instead of a weirdo country singer, singing the lead and the backing vocals, 
which were multi-tracked, and the jingly jangly guitars that are lush, a soft, strong bass line, their foot stomps, hand claps, and a little tambourine. You can totally hear Nick doing this song, which I'm not sure if he did or not. I don't think that he did. Um, did you know that he bailed on the band after producing this song because he thought the band wasn't going anywhere? Way to go, Nick Lowe. Uh, I think he and Chrissy were having a thing, and then she kicked him to the curb for Ray, but that's just me. Uh, the album, one of the best of the 80s, the Pretenders album. This is a standout on it, but you should listen to the whole thing. Now, who does it better? I think because Ray was trying to sound like Conway Twitty, that Chrissy and the guys win this. Make no mistake about it. Now that I've listened to the song 15 times and I'm still grooving, I'm going to listen to the album right now, as you should. So check it out and decide for yourself. It is time for you to stop on our Next up is, uh, it's called When You Were Mine. The original was by Prince. It came out in 1980. And that girl who just wanted to have fun, Cindy Lauper, she covered it in 1983. And I remember when that came out, and as usual, I think I mentioned in Paul's podcast, that I would always say, oh man, this is a really great cover. No, it's not. Cindy Lauper wrote that song. Man, no, it's clear. Please, please listen to Prince. So the original, this is one of Prince's kooky, up-tempo love songs about a guy who is still in love with a chick who steamrolled his heart. It's a very 50s-sounding song. If you listen to the beat, it would be perfect for American Bandstand back in the 50s or 60s. Uh, a basic verse-chorus-verse song. He sings the verses in his upper register and spreads them out for the call-and-response BVs. The instrumentation is all synths with a farfisa sound that pierces your ears a little bit, except for the drums and a little strummy electric guitar. Uh, it's very squealy now that I think about it. What I like about this is that you're too busy dancing around like a young girl from 1955 at the sock hop to really listen to the lyrics, but they're pretty spicy. Uh, this isn't the best song from Dirty Mind, but it's fun enough to get people dancing whenever I play it at one of my DJ gigs. So in the lyrics, he's talking about like sleeping in the same bed and all kinds of other strange things. That Prince, I'm sure he did that. I'm sure it was autobiographical, I don't doubt it. Uh, the cover by Cyndi Lauper is, it really is unusual, and her choosing to do this cover really proves it. It totally fits in with her nutty persona, and she does it justice. She follows the basic arrangement in all synths, but slows it down to a mid-tempo and makes it as melancholy as possible, for 1983, that is, to match the lyrics. She sings all the front and backing vocals and showcases her range from as low as she can go to her signature high squeaky squeal, which is kind of irritating. 
this is definitely a more emotional feel on the song than Prince's original. And who does it better? Well, this is kind of tough because I'm really not that into the song. I mean, I love Dirty Mind and saw him on tour and, you know, it was fantastic. But the song, uh, in with the rest of the album, is kind of like, eh, it's just, it seems sort of like a throwaway track. Amir might hate me for that, but whatever. Um, I think they're both kind of meh to me, both versions, the original and the cover. So for me, right now, this is a very unenthusiastic tie. So you should listen to them back to back and decide and then tell me what you think. I, I'm just kind of like, bleh, whatever. They're not that great. So have a listen. my next song. (laughs) This is going to be really short because of what it is. So the song is I Love Rock and Roll. But you didn't know that was a cover, did you? Because you only heard Joan Jett sing it five billion times between 1981 and 1990, I'm guessing. Well, the original was done by the Arrows in 1975. I found out that this was a cover, the Joan Jett was a cover because of my local college radio station, WMUH from Muhlenberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Shout out to you, MUH. So the original, uh, like I said, I'm sure you know this is a Joan Jett cover, so I don't have to explain the song to you because you know it. It's in your DNA. Um, but I will tell you that the lead singer is the loudest thing in the mix of the original version. It's basic rock and roll, guitars, bass, drums, Not quite a power trio, or are they? I don't know. You'll have to listen to it. And the cover by Joan Jett, you know it inside out, backwards, forwards, upside down. 
Uh, only the instruments are louder and her vocal is low in the mix. So it's kind of opposite of the original. Um, the cover, I mean, it's basically the same thing, except she changed the pronoun to the guy leaning against the record machine. So who does it better? I like the Arrows original because after all these years, for some reason, it sounds new. And I'm totally sick of hearing Joan Jett sing it. I can't take it anymore. I can't stand it. But you need to listen to both of them right now. Give it a listen. I saw her dancing there by the record machine. I knew she must have been about 17. Mm. The beat was going strong, playing my favorite song. And I could tell it wouldn't be long till she was with me. And I could tell it wouldn't be long till she was with me. Yeah, me. my next selection. It's called Take Me to the River. You may know this because the original was done by the amazing Al Green in 1974, and the cover was done by Talking Heads in 1978. Now this song is an Al Green classic. It's three minutes and 45 seconds of a sexy, up-tempo swinging number performed by the Memphis Horns and the Memphis Strings, and produced by the legendary Willie Mitchell, who ran High Records. Al, uh, it has Al confused about his feelings for a woman he's in love with, who he lost his virginity to when he was 16. Since then, she's put him through all kinds of changes, stole his money and his cigarettes, (laughs) and disappeared, just leaving him confused, as the one lyric goes. I want to know, won't you tell me, am I in love to stay? Which is a really good question to ask when you're totally heartbroken and in pain. So, despite how fast the song is, it's a little up-tempo, he definitely takes it to church with his growling and moaning while asking for his soul to be cleansed. And the chorus, hold me, love me, please me, tease me, till I can't, till I can't, can't take no more. Take me to the river. So obviously he's going to the river to be baptized, to be washed clean of all this. I remember the basement dance parties at my aunt's house back in the day, growing up in the 70s, at my Aunt Gypsy's, my Aunt Charlotte, my Aunt Glenny's houses. The kind with only one red light bulb that allowed for all kinds of bumping and grinding and dark crimson shadows. And when the song came on, everyone would bump and grind so hard and fast that sparks would damn near fly. It was super hot. Now... The cover by Talking Heads is a far cry from the original, primarily just because of who the band is. 
Their three-minute and 36 edit was a slow dirge, produced by Brian Eno and the band. The only thing same in both versions is the Hammond B3. Now, this cover starts off with a cymbal crash, a bass and drum, and a weird synth effect that sounds like a man limping, with a hi-hat going tick, 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 sounding like the timer for a homemade bomb. Making a steady beat, it wobbles a little bit, like it wants to go slower for the first five seconds. Then it stabilizes and the organ comes in, presumably by Bernie Worrell. This arrangement is very spare, and even when the guitar and bass come in, there are no horns and no strings. Then David Byrne starts singing, and you're not sure what's going on. Is this part of a soundtrack for a scary movie? He's as soulful as he can get, which isn't very much, but he does sound a little desperate, especially when he starts shouting the chorus in the middle of the song. Now remember, Talking Heads was a newfangled quote-unquote new wave band who did very kooky things like use a lot of African and world music beats in their songs way before Paul Simon and mix things up a lot. So this slow churning rhythm sounded, as my mother said, kind of white soul, not blue-eyed, just white and odd. (laughs) I miss my mom. (laughs) All of us new wave weirdos just loved it. And I remember blowing people's minds when I told them that this was a cover. See, now that is going to be a recurring theme throughout my podcast. Because, as I think I said in Paul's, a lot of people who don't know about the biz automatically assume that whoever is singing the song wrote the song. And more often than not, that is not the case, because that's why there are songwriters who just write songs and don't sing and don't play and sell their songs to other people. So, uh, of course, when I told them, oh, this was Al Green. Al Green, what, what do you mean? Let's stay together, guy? Yes, you jackass. Um, so there were a lot of new wave weirdos who didn't know a lot about music, and I schooled them. Uh, who does it better? Hands down, Al Green, period. While I do enjoy the funeral dirge of the Talking Heads cover, Al wins because of his soul, conviction, conviction, and genuine feel. It's like he's testifying in church to a congregation of men. And it's a great song to go bump and grind to when you're in a dark basement because it's very, very hot. So put on a red light bulb and grab your partner and have a bump and grind. Enjoy. I'd like to dedicate this song to little Junior Park. A cousin of mine that's going on, but we'd like to carry on in his name by saying I don't know why I love you like I do and all the changes that you put me through used all my money and my cigarettes and I haven't seen how to have you yet I want to know won't you tell me
everybody. That is the end of my first podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I wasn't sure how many songs I would get through, but I think uh, four or five, which is a good amount. I'm not sure if I'm going to be doing this weekly or bi-weekly because uh, it's a lot of songs to go through in about a half an hour, 45 minutes. So I'm going to wait for your response and let me know what you're thinking, and then I'll go from there. But I hope you dug it. I hope that you discover some new covers. And, you know, write to me on um, Instagram or FacePlace or text message or phone or smoke signal or however you want to get through to me. Let me know if you know some other good covers. I'd appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And thank you for listening. 